Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside. Here on Manx Radio, I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermood. Last week I went along to the Agri-Environmental Scheme rollout with the Manx Wildlife Trust at King Williams College. And I joined Howard Parkin and the gang at the Bridge Bookshop in Ramsey for the signing of the Space for Dark Skies book launched by Howard himself. Well, first on this week's programme, Kiri, um, Mental Health Awareness Weekend. Uh, Sunday was the day, I think, uh, for everybody. And it's a, it's a reminder, particularly in, in the world of agriculture, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a very solitary job. Some days you don't see anyone other than maybe the milkman or the postman. And it's so important that we do speak or call around on our farm and friends just to see that they're doing okay. And uh, this week, Agricultural Mental Health Week, uh, there's many organisations reaching out to to people to connect with your neighbours and friends and just give them a quick text, see how they're doing. And uh, lots of rural support out there. And they're trying to reiterate the fact that you're not alone in agriculture. There's many, many people you can reach that are maybe outside of agriculture but they're willing to help um, and if you look on Facebook which seems to be the most common platform now um, you can look for the Farm Safety Foundation in the Yellow Wellies and obviously Rural Support and uh, lots of other foundations the Samaritans and the regular ones you can reach out to uh, but here on the Isle of Man we have the National Farmers Union that are always open just look out for the phone number or even just the local Samaritans phone number. Yes, it's a, a very uh, changeable world we live in because, you know, 20 years ago probably or, or 10 years ago even, people were a little bit keeping it in, but now it's it's something not to be ashamed of. Absolutely not. Our mental health is so important, like all the rest of our health, whether it's to get out for a walk, just to clear your mind, and it's just to remove that stigma. Everybody's dealing with problems. Uh, you're not alone, so do just reach out. Yeah. Talk to the sheep and cattle as well absolutely <laughs> for you. but you've been at uh, a, a nice event spoke to some interesting people as well at the agri like you said the world is changing and agriculture is changing again uh, with the launch of the new agri-environmental scheme um, back in April there now the delivery partner has been chosen with the Manx Wildlife Trust in uh, Lee Morris and David Bellamy and also Caroline Perry where they delivered a workshop at King Williams College I went along to see what session was all about and caught up with some of the people that were in attendance. Andrew Lees from DEFA. Now we're here to the two workshops um, being delivered from the Manx Wildlife Trust about the agro-environmental scheme. How do you feel that people are embracing it now? It's a few months in. Um, both the uh, workshops were very well attended. Um, you know, they were full, which was great. There were some great questions. Um, I think... Um, it's a new scheme, so people are getting used to the scheme. We've, we've got a great delivery partner with the Manx Wildlife Trust, and we, um, we, we have um, uh, a great team managing it behind, because I know there are concerns. They're there to answer any questions anybody's got. Um, anything new um, will always lead to people having concerns, and it, it is change. But actually, I think it's really great. It, it is all about the environment. You, know, you will see a difference, actually, when you drive from, let's say, uh, Douglas to Port St Mary you'll see differences in the landscapes and I think it is that the farmers are the best people they are the custodians of our landscape I think that's the crucial bit you know we we, we need to listen to the farmers the farmers have, have managed the land for generations and we've got a great we've got a great island here because of them there has been some concerns tonight about the young farmers and about the production of food. Now, how far can this scheme go to take that away from just the everyday running of things? 
I think I think part of it is that um, we're not talking about taking huge areas of land out of food production. I mean, as it's described today, it's where you can't turn the combine harvester. Let's put, let's put a couple of trees there. Where it's a bit wet, let's put a dub there. It, you know, it's, it is using the knowledge the farmers have got to actually manage their business and their land. Ian Parsons, well, we're at the second workshop of the agri-environmental scheme rollout. Um, it's obviously for the farmers to come and give feedback to the Manx Wildlife Trust who are delivering the scheme and the DEFA panel. How have you thought the nights have gone? Um, really good, I think. Um, quite surprised by the turnout on both nights um, and the engagement from the people there. Um, questions have been interesting and varied both nights, but there just seems a, yeah, generally I think people, the, the farmers want it to work and MWT want it to work, so... And do you think farmers are embracing the changes? I know it's been out now in the public domain for quite a while and now they're coming to the front with their questions and all that. Do you think they're going to embrace it and take it on board? Yes, I hope so. I think the oh, my goals for the scheme would be that it's not, it's not just about an environmental scheme. It's about productive agriculture, productive farming, working hand in hand with environmental measures, tweaking little bits of fields and field margins to benefit wildlife, but also benefit your productive farming on farm. And I think that's what the, some of the uh, fears was, was coming away from food production. And obviously in the current climate, with the pandemic and obviously with the logistics issues at the minute, food is right up there in the forefront of everyone's minds. Absolutely. You know, we're farmers, we produce food. That is our core industry. Um, and I think this scheme, and especially with it being a fluid scheme that can be tweaked and evolve, um, I, I think the two have got to work hand in hand for it to work active farming and environmental benefits from the result of little tweaks and little things around the farm that you can do to um, benefit wildlife. And with you from the National Farmers Union, you represent many of the farmers on the Isle of Man. There is concerns for young farmers and support for those going forward? Uh, definitely, and that's a hope with the sort of other parts of the scheme. There's a um, quite a vast education budget. Um, it's um, DEFRA have just informed us that it's been signed off um, with the consultancy firm from across to start doing monitor farms and there'll be sort of education and courses as a link to that so it's vital that we do have a means in for young farmers and education for young farmers. Jeff Sutcliffe, a young farmer involved in agriculture all of your life, you've come tonight to the workshop for the delivery of the new agro-environmental scheme. How do you see it as a young farmer in agriculture? I like the way you said young farmer twice there. Um, I wouldn't see myself as a young farmer anymore, but that's great. Um, <laughs> the scheme in general, I think it's got definite benefits, but whether or not they're actually going to be fully brought through yet is it's debatable, and that takes time, and we're going to have to try our best to look at it to see what happens. Um, I think there's some great incentives. I don't agree with everything they've put on there, but at the same time, I'm going to go with them giving the benefit, and we'll see how it comes out at the end. What would you rather see um, as a younger person getting involved, and yours was a family business, but for young farmers that maybe haven't got the family background? There's got to be some sort of incentive put in towards an actual production side of it, because at the same time, it's very nice to say that everybody wants to uh, be environmental and go that side, but one of the main, one of the main um, slides that came out tonight actually had in the centre of it a big plaque that said food, uh, food security. In the entire presentation, I didn't hear anything towards that. Uh, and also, at the same time, there's got to be some sort of reward for the for the farmer to actually be worth doing it. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of ground that looks very pretty, but 
there isn't a great deal of work to do it and it's going to have the general public thinking that we're just easy life, everybody wants to be a farmer, there's not actually any work and incentive onto it. Yeah, I see that. And obviously, like you say about the food security, we've, we've seen it with the pandemic and obviously the logistics lately. Shelves, you know, people are, shelves are bare and living hand to mouth sort of situation. Mm-hmm. This is something the island, you know, they're self-sufficient. I think we both know, Kira, the island's never going to be self-sufficient, is it? It can, it can be put along by the politicians and say we have, but at the same time, I think the only way we're ever going to be self-sufficient is if we actually increase food production by about three or four times which we both know is never going to happen. Um, we want to go down the carbon capture route. We want to go down the environmental route. It's very nice and it's obviously the way forward. But realistically, the two don't go hand in hand. And how do you see now the cost of fertilizers, the cost of inputs into agriculture, diesel, oil is, is skyrocketing. The price of lamb and beef has come up, but is it working? Time will tell. The prices this year are going to have to go up and unfortunately that's kind of obviously the only the only person that's going to benefit from that is the farmer but at the same time the only person that's going to be on the receiving end of it is going to be the consumer and these again are going to be the people that are having their wages and everything else um you know contailed and the environment the the, um, the economy isn't in the best of positions to actually offer anybody any more wages but in reality the food the food side of it has only gone up and it can, it's going to have to go up because in reality it hasn't gone up for the last 35 years. Yeah. You know, um, I think it was uh, 1970, the average food bill was about 35% of the, uh, the income of any, sort of, uh, any, any family and now I think it's about seven and a half. Yeah. So in reality, it's about time it went up. They talk about food banks. You know, in our time, we never thought we'd ever hear this, but this is something that on the forefront, you hear it on the news most nights, people are reaching out to these things. Yeah, um, the food banks are uh, very important, but this is another reason why maybe the incentives that we've heard tonight for the environmental side of it would be better off. The money would be spent to, as an initiative to say to a farmer, 10% of everything you produce, you give away free to the the elderly, the vulnerable, the other families or anybody, the general public that's actually suffering and finding it very hard at the moment to even feed their family and children. Maybe as a community, the farmers would be better off spending their time and energy in producing something to help them directly rather than, should we say, following the will of the social media and the general public sometimes. Lee Morris, the second workshop of the delivery of the um, agri-environmental scheme here at King Williams College. What a lovely venue. It's a fantastic venue. I think we probably need to thank David Bellamy, who's ex-student here, who might might have sneaked (laughs) us in. We've got a very uh, lovely buffet, of which I keep browsing on, so I'm not going to try and eat while you interview me. But um, it's been a fantastic venue, great lecture theatre. Um, and almost full, so yeah, we're delighted. And that's it, it's bringing together of the farmers to deliver this scheme. It's been here before, but in a different format this time. Yeah, I've, I've not been on the island two years yet, so I didn't see the first time round. But my understanding is that the first time was very much a pilot with maybe 30 farmers. Um, there's lots of key messages from this, but one of them is that it's for every farmer on the island now. It's voluntary, and it's really about farmers, you know, picking up the phone, dropping David or Caroline an email and engaging with it. But it's, it's for every farmer now. And small changes can make a huge difference. Oh, yeah, massive. Um, 
One of the reasons, Max, well, probably the core reason that Manx Wildlife Trust were keen to do this, it, it reflects really how the whole of the Wildlife Trust movement is, is evolving. In it, you know, we, we have nature reserves. We have 25 nature reserves in the Isle of Man. They're wonderful places, they're very special places, and we need to cherish them, and we will keep cherishing them. But, but they're only 0.2% of the Isle of Man's area. Whereas farming, you know, depending on what stats you look at, is 88%. So the chance for us to actually engage with the, with the farmers who are looking after 88% of the island. Imagine, imagine if we get tiny gains over 88% of the island and then you add that up and, com and compare that to our current impact on 0.2%. It could be massive for nature. And one of those slides did hit home a little bit of the species that are maybe dwindling in numbers. Some are now extinct, sadly. Yeah, there's some extinct... The Yellowhammer is the classic one that's that's put forward. Potential last sighting was in 2019. Not all these can be directly attributed to, to farming. Some of the species that are, you know, potentially in decline, though, are farm farmland birds, and, and they're important. So what we're hoping to see is that they're probably the things that will be the quickest indicators of our success. You know, if we're going to start measuring you know, beetles and spiders and all the other things that we'd like to see in sod banks and, and hedges, that's harder to do. But imagine, you know, the, the, the easy things to monitor. If, if we get yellowhammers back, if, you know, we can see those birds coming back in and farmers can see them and we can get quick reports. So, And I think some of the feedback, yeah, exactly, is quite good from the farmers. I know David said in his speech that some people are now embracing it and they're out with the binoculars having a look around already. You know, they've, they've adapted this quite well. There's a lot of farmers, hopefully some listening to, I'm sure listening to this, who, who, are, who love nature, that's what farmers do. I, you know, I, having been a student and worked at agricultural colleges for many years and engaged with lots of farmers across, look, you know, that, that's intrinsic. Farmers work in nature, that's one of the reasons they want to farm. So uh, we shouldn't be surprised that, that, that many of the farmers we're speaking to have a pair of binoculars in the tractor cab or, or you know, we'll, 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 we'll know when the last saw a kill you or... And, and they can tell you how many chuffs they've got in their fields. And it was a, there was a farmer earlier who said he reckons there's more chuff in his fields in Russian than anyone else has got in the island. So he thinks he's, con you know, we've got 28% of the British Isles chuffs in the Isle of Man and he's claiming most of them. But, but that's, that, a that's, that's a huge lovely. achievement on its own, isn't it? Yes. And I suppose this could be where they come maybe a bit negative at times. We've already achieved the UNESCO biosphere status, a huge status. It, the wildlife is pretty in abundance here compared to some of the areas maybe in the south of England. They wonder why the changes. That's a great question and it's probably one of the biggest challenges in my job as CEO of Max Wildlife Trust because the Isle of Man is a fantastic place for nature and we are a biosphere but we're not perfect and, and the status of biosphere doesn't mean perfection. It's, a, it's about a, a culture of everyone working together with you know, livelihoods, people, living, food, farming, nature all working you know, in a sustainable way as a biosphere. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that we can't do it better. So, so you know, for example, the, the Manx farming with the hedges. You know, the, I can't remember the figure, but I do know that the, the area of Manx farmland to hedge ratio is fantastic in terms of lots of hedges. But maybe they could be a bit thicker. You know, may, it, yeah. maybe they could be a bit thicker. Maybe they could be cut less. Maybe they could be managed in different ways. Maybe the species in them could be better. Small gains. You know, if you've got a hedge now that there's a lot of gorse in, maybe that can be changed. We get it to berry plants that suit birds. There's some simple ways that we can 
do that. But we, we, we need people that love the Isle of Man environment to understand and not be complacent about it yeah. and, not, and, and want it there for genuinely for future generations. And there has been progress made. Like obviously, there's 116 farms already been visited. Uh, like you say about the hedgerows, it's not taken away from food production, which is maybe a little bit of a concern in some areas. Um, farmland is for farming, and you know, however many hundreds or thousands of years ago that there was the Isle of Man was covered in trees, you know, that's gone. This isn't about trying to to, to, to get rid of farming. It's not about turning the clock back and saying we can't have tractors anymore and we've, we've all got to just do organic, vegan, non-meat farming. That's the furthest from the truth you can possibly be. You know, this is about sustainable farming within a biosphere where, you know, be it, be it locked and sheep or potato growing, these are important things. And we, our ambition is that they, we just do it in a way that's, that's more nature aware, more nature friendly. And already it's clear in some of the conversations there's many farmers who are wanting this and open to this. Now, we're not going to get all 341 or 353, whatever active farmers. Of course, there's going to be a spectrum across those. And we accept that. We're not, you know, we're not going to try and push people where they don't want to go. But I come back to my, my earlier point. 0.2% of the island is nature reserves. Farming is 88%. So for Manx Wildlife Trust and you know our board, our team, our members, our, our volunteers, if, if we can get some of these farmers really been given the opportunity to help nature more so it's a massive win and that the, the the change coming from well the financial changes i think that was the biggest worry you know the different in payments but they can earn as they go yes they can earn as they go and, and i think the slides that david put up in his presentation um and we we videoed we recorded the full event yesterday at the innovation center so that's going to go online onto our website and we'll have that on YouTube. So any farmers that were not at either of these two events, we have videoed the complete thing and we'd encourage you to watch it. And within that, David's put some examples up of, of you know, where the ADS has been reduced, but how you can make that back up. Um, and that's all genuine. I, I think it's probably, I'm smiling when I say this, but it's quite a nice position for Max Wildlife Trust to be in. You know, we didn't design the scheme. We didn't cut the payments. You know, we've come in as a delivery partner where we're enthused about working with farmers now to help them get, you know, some of this, you know, the, the, the million pound from the ADS reduction, but also the extra million pound that's been put in is now available. So we're like enthused. You know, Dave and Caroline are going in and saying, these are the opportunities, guys. This is what you can be doing and helping them bid in. Because when you look at the handbook and you look at the forms, if, if I was farming in the Isle of Man, I'd... You know, I'm just filling in my tax return yesterday. It takes a bit of time. So there is a culture of form filling, but there's, you know, there's a lot of application forms for the Agri-Environment Scheme. So David and Caroline want to help farmers and guide them to the ones that they need to fill in that best fits their land. So we're helping them, you know, streamline that process. There we go. That was Andrew Lees from DEFA, Ian Parsons from the Manx National Farmers Union, young farmer Jeff Sutcliffe and delivery partner Lee Morris. Some passion uh, behind them people, aren't there? Really yeah. is. Uh, the Manx Wildlife Trust are so passionate about everything to do with nature. They're supporting the farmers fully with all of the help, with the paperwork and coming and visiting the farms to see what they can uh, help with or alter uh, so the farmers can receive payment uh, as it's changing away from the old system to this new agri-environmental scheme. <laughs> You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, 
the skies around the world, and particularly the Isle of Man, have been of particular interest to one of our regulars here on Manx Radio. Not so much on countryside, uh, but the slot with Judith Lay on a Sunday night and uh, various items whenever there's news about what's happening around the skies. Well, that's Howard Parkin, of course, and he's launched a book uh, called Space for Dark Skies. He had a launch off the book and a signing as well at the Bridge Bookshop in Ramsey. And I popped along and put it to him that it's exciting times signing the books in person. Very much so. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, the book was only launched about 10 days ago and they said, would we come up and do a book signing? I was delighted to do it. And we've had a steady flow of people. And it's been great to talk about the book and obviously sign copies for people for, for Christmas presents, I think, for later on this year. Now, this is, uh, is this your first book? It is indeed. Yeah, and uh, what, what inspired you to to get into the, the, the journalism side of your, well, all your knowledge? Well, it was, it was a whole host of reasons, really. I've been writing bits and pieces. I've been writing lectures and talking on the radio and doing all sorts of stuff for about 30-odd years now. I've been teaching at the college since 1985, believe it or not. And I just thought, in lockdown especially, that it'd be nice to put all my thoughts down on paper and give something uniquely Manx, if you like. I can talk about the Manx Dark Sky sites, I can talk about the Manx space industry and all this sort of stuff. So I started writing it just over a year ago. I mean, I did have stuff that I'd written previously, which I, I brought into the book. But um, it once I started on it, it's like they say, it just grew. And my wife was saying, well, you know, I'm just going to do another few words. And in the end, it ended up about 70,000 words. And then we had to censor it down, or not set, wrong word, censor, <laughs> cut it down mm. to a reasonable length. And uh, the final outcome uh, is, is before you today. Now, uh, are you a big book reader in general yes. yourself? I love reading books. It's the thing I do. We've got more books, I think, than uh, some of the libraries in our house. Mainly fiction. I don't read a lot of non-fiction other than space stuff, because obviously I'm really researching my subject all the time but I just love reading fiction and uh, uh, science fiction any sort of book but it's just a great way to escape and uh, enjoy yourself now you, you say about uh, when you got started writing this it was difficult to stop it, similar yeah. similar thought to when you get a good book when you read yes it. yes indeed I've just read the new Wilbur Smith book actually and I couldn't put that one down and uh, I, it's great you, you can escape in a book I mean that's one of the things they say about book selling I remember about 20-30 years ago the, the comment was that the books were dying and the libraries were closing and all the rest but nothing could be further from the truth if anything book writing and book reading I think has grown and grown and grown and it's nice to be part of that um, domain mm -hmm. now the, the book itself um, obviously about uh, the skies and astronomy and yeah. what, what first got you into it Oh, I'm glad you asked that question because it's in the book. You have to get the book to read it. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I was a little boy. I was. It was in 1961. I was eight years old, and I was living in Liverpool at the time. And we were playing football in the road, as one did those days. And my mother came outside and said, "Boys, boys, come in. I want you to watch this man who's on television. He's just been into space." And I thought, wow, a man who's just been into space. And we went inside the house and we saw Yuri Gagarin marching through the streets of Moscow, being greeted by Khrushchev, the Premier. And that just inspired me. And then, of course, that was in the throes of the space age when um, they were going to go to the moon and all sorts of stuff. And I think it grew up with me from eight right through till they landed on the moon in 1969. And it's been with me ever since. It's just been a fascinating subject. And I love talking about it. And now, obviously, a book is a form of talking. It's communicating, isn't it? And it's just great to pass on my level of interest, or my enthusiasm, I hope, to people, be it in written form or in a lecture. Did you buy a telescope straight away to my, look up at the moon? My parents <laughs> bought me a telescope, a four-inch telescope, a four-inch reflecting telescope from a company called Charles Frank of Glasgow. 
and uh, I still got that telescope and that was my Christmas present I think 1965 I think that was my Christmas present mm. and uh, that just opened up a different vista to me because as well as the naked eye obviously using a telescope you can see far more and then the Astronomical Society was formed in 1989 and I started teaching in 1985 and now we go on cruise ships talking about all over the world when you um, think about today where you can find all the news that a certain planet's going to be within yeah. range at the moment yeah. people just tap it into a computer oh, yes. I mean how did you find out more about it um, when you first started well great start books books and televisions Patrick Moore was an inspiration in the Sky at Night program all those years ago and of course I've got a huge amount of books at home but even now when I'm looking want to check a fact or something when I'm writing something or doing a lecture um, nowadays you just go on the internet and research it but what is amusing is when you look on the internet for an answer to a question and then you realize that you've already answered that question and your name is quoted as the source that happened to me a few weeks ago when i was doing some work on eclipses i was quoted as saying something in 2017 i thought hang on that was me <laughs> great but you know your house in you you were a, a, a instrumental with the society getting the, yeah, the astronomy members, yeah. um put up uh, near the near the area on the loops road that's it? right on the yeah. loops road that was in 1989 there was one of our members uh, off to become a member uh, Gary Kewin put a note in the paper anyone interested in forming an astronomical society we met at the um, Craigna Bar and we had a meeting there and uh, that was how it all started that was 1989 and we're still going strong now with our premises as you say at the Lubes Road in Foxdale there and uh, it's just amazing how many people have got an interest in astronomy just a casual interest maybe and then we've got some people who are you know really almost professional astronomers there and it's just great to be involved. Astronomy has grown in astronomy has grown from being a casual subject. I say like train spotting or some other sort of niche th subjects. Astronomy has grown dramatically in the last 30, 40 years. And I blame that on the Apollo missions. When we saw the Earth from space all those years ago and we realized how fragile the Earth is and Greenpeace and climate change and all these issues now are all linked, I think, to our view of the world as an object rather than a place we live on um, from afar. And that's... a uh, I think that's helped the, the subject grow and grow and grow, which is, is why I'm here today. Yeah, and it, it must give you immense satisfaction, though, to, to be standing here in the, in the bridge bookshop in yeah. Ramsey with people coming in going, will you sign this? Absolutely. All them years of, of studying it, yeah. it's finally written down. It is, it's amazing. And I must admit, the biggest moment for me was when I got the first proof copy off the publishers. Words and Spaces printed me a proof copy for me to check through, obviously. And I held it in my hands and I thought, wow, I've done it. I've finally written a book. And uh, it was a sort of, it was never a, a, an intentional dream to write a book. But it just sort of grew. And uh, all the stuff I've got in my head, I thought, get it down on paper. And uh, and here we go. But but seeing people, the amount of people who've come in today, it's been, uh, it's, it's been uh, great, humiliating almost. There's so many people want to read my book and uh, I want a copy of it. So uh, yeah. I'm just glad to be here. And one of the great things about astronomy and, and space and planets is it sort of ticks along in the background yeah. and suddenly there's a discovery and there's so much interest. Yeah, there's so much. And at the moment, I can't keep pace with the amount of stuff that's going there. The commercial exploitation of space. You mark my words, 1961, Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space. This year, 2021, is the year when commercial spaceflight started to take place. And there's been that many people gone up recently. And who knows? I mean, even next week, uh, William Shatner is boldly going to go where uh, only 600 have gone before him. Yeah. And uh, have, you, have you approached Mr. Branson yet? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. Uh, there's a few <laughs> people said they want me to go on a one-way ticket, but that doesn't count. 
But no, I think Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, the two of them, are doing these suborbital flights. Uh, I was doing a talk in a school the other day. I was a talk, giving a talk in Onkin School, and um, the children were asking me all sorts of questions. And I stood there and I said, you know, if you work hard and study hard, in 50 years' time, I reckon at least one of you will have gone into space. And I stand by that prediction, because spaceflight is going the way aviation went. We'll be flying to Australia on suborbital a- a- aviation a- aircraft um, in probably 20, 30 years' time. You mark my words. I might not be here to see it, but uh, it's amazing how progress is just going on so rapidly. And your journey through the book, uh, see there's uh, lots of illustrations oh, in yes. colour, a uh, bit of Manx in there too. Oh, absolutely, and I'm very grateful to Culture Vannin who um, helped me with the book, and uh, I said I'd put some Manx in it. There's a whole glossary of astronomical terms in Manx, so I hope that people can use those. And when you read through the book, if there's a Manx term for it, we just looked at the word Taurus, the bull, Itaru. You see, I'm learning these things. And uh, as I said, their support was great. And uh, I've tried to make it as a Manx connections as far as possible. The subtitle of the book is An Astronomical Miscellany from the Isle of Man, which links to, obviously, my residency and my fact that I live here. And we've got the dark sky sites. And uh, it's been my, my astronomical career has been effectively in the Isle of Man since I came here in 1975. 72, I tell a lie. And is... is the Isle of Man, I mean, different regions of the world, but I mean, is, is the Isle of Man a little bit unique? Yes, it is, because we've got some fantastic dark skies, and I can't stress enough, this is one of the other reasons I wanted to write the book, because we have got fantastic skies. Let's be absolutely honest, between just you and me, don't, <laughs> as it goes, <laughs> um, the Isle of Man is great, because when you look out to sea, you've got no lights, so when you're on any horizon view from the island, you've got fantastic views of the sky, and you can see the Milky Way quite clearly from the Isle of Man, even on a uh, from a well-lit area because the Milky Way goes down to the horizon and that makes the island unique from a, a small area the Isle of Man is comparatively small but you've got so many different locations we've got 26 dark sky locations in the Isle of Man and I think it makes it unique because otherwise if you live in Liverpool or Manchester you've got to travel up to the Lake District or North Wales you've got to have a two or three hour road trip to get somewhere where the skies are really good for you you can do that in the Isle of Man in 10 minutes well, good luck with the, uh, the with the book selling. My pleasure, thank I'm you. Sure it's going to be a fantastic read, and my ten year old's going to get one now. Well, I, He'll be telling me all about it. I do hope so. Thank you for for the chat. Thank you. Well, well Bethany White from the uh, Bridge Bookshop. Uh, great to have Howard Parkin in today on the book signing. Absolutely, it's been really lovely having him here. Um, someone with you know so much experience and knowledge. He's been chatting to everyone who's come in to get one of his books. Yeah, well, it, it's it's great exciting. I mean, how often do you get the chance to get the people in uh, to sign the books for people? As often as we can, really. Uh, every probably every couple of months at the moment, we've been getting a, a signing in. Um, we had Tanya Anderson in from Lovely Greens earlier in the year, um, and it's it's really special when we can get people in, um, and we do it as often as we can. Now, this little emporium here, we just love coming in. My young fella loves coming in here. There's so much for everyone from paints and the uh, advent calendars are in now. Mm. Sad to say, <laughs> but uh, people do like to get organised early. But some great Manx, you've got a lot of um, store of Manx books related to the Isle of Man here as well. We do, yeah, that's something we're really passionate about is keeping. We've got two whole floor to ceiling bays of Manx books um, and it's... The, got it in our Port Erin shop as well as in Ramsey um, something that we feel very passionately about that people should have access to local history and um, you know, walking guides all sorts you'd be amazed how many different things there are published in the Isle of Man um, and so come in and have a look at the variety that we've got but but the, one of the great things um, Bethany was 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 
somebody came in and said, uh, have you got a such and such a book? And mm. you walked down the aisle here, picked it <laughs> off the shelf. Uh, it, it, it's a great a tribute to have. Absolutely. We're passionate about knowing what we've got, what we can get in. You know, we've only got so much space in this shop, but um, we can always order books in for people as well. But generally, you know, we we love what we do so we know what we've got and if someone mentions something generally you think oh yes I know if we've got that but it is it is, it is great because I was just flicking through a few books there and you've got little handwritten notes on them just explain it a little bit more yeah there's personal recommendations from our booksellers so um, they're little cards that are on the shelves so you can have a little browse around um, and see ones that we've really enjoyed ourselves um, and see if that's right for you as well yeah, and uh, plenty of books um, relating to nature as well. People who who maybe have found a new passion since the the outbreaks of the COVID, and uh, they want to they're walking a bit more in the countryside. There's plenty of books for them to to learn more about. It's looking after frogs, hedgehogs, all sorts. Absolutely, there's a huge array of non-fiction books. We've got natural history section, we've got popular science, history, um, arts and crafts as well. Lots of people took up new hobbies over lockdown as well. And we've got, you know, learning crochet and painting and um, there's really such a spectrum of stuff. Everyone's, I think, what's really exciting about people who come to bookshops is that they're excited to learn something new and learn more about the world. And that's a really fun way to do it is with books. Well, it's great to see somebody in a shop who's passionate about what comes out of the shop. Absolutely. Love, love books. Bethany White from the Bridge Bookshop in Ramsey and before that Howard Parkin signing the books uh, that he's launched uh, a couple of weeks ago, Space for Dark Skies. Great book as well. I had a flick through it and he signed it for my young fella, Timmy, who, of course, uh, at 10, always interested in planets and things like that and dinosaurs. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. A great, great chatter, Howard. A real passionate. It really is so lovely that we've got such a beautiful sky above us. We don't have the pollution of many of these cities you know, above Birmingham and London, how the orange glow lingers. We are so lucky we can just nip up onto North Barule there, go with yeah. some of the walking groups. They organise these dark skies evenings now. And like uh, Howard has in his book there, the discovery sites where they have a big map at a car park and certain destinations around the Isle of Man and to look out and see what stars or the formations mean out there. And it's beautiful. great on a, on a- clear night in the in the winter time isn't the cold when you can just open the sunroof lie back and, uh, <laughs> and enjoy the stars can't you it is really gorgeous we are so so lucky but uh, finally on this week's program just uh, a couple of things that's happening next weekend or this weekend saturday the 16th of october uh, there's an open day uh, at uh, ballerini estate in kurt michael courtesy of alan kermode and the family uh, it starts at 10 o'clock if you want to uh, attend to that see the uh, undergone extensive tree and hedge planting and of course the creation of a wetland a wetland habitat um, if you want to pop along to that just give alan a ring uh, uh, 495903 495903 if you want to get along with that it'd be very interesting for people who are thinking of doing the same on that and a bit of fur and feather is coming up as well Yes, this coming Sunday, the 17th of October at Union Mills Memorial Hall. The Manx Bantam Fur and Feather are having their annual show. The entries have now closed, but uh, go pop along there on Sunday and see what fur babies there are on show there. Indeed. That's it for this week's Countryside, though. We're back next week. And don't forget, if you missed it or you want to hear the uh, episodes in full, you can go to Manx Radio's website, powered by Miller Chaps of Ramsey. Uh, go to the Listen Again or the podcast features, and you can listen to the whole programmes again. 
That's it though, we'll see you next week on Countryside at 6 on Tuesday. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermode. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.